8. Winter Silence The spoilt daughter was checking her correspondence and found something with an address that was all numbers and symbols. How in a bajillion hells did this message get through? It could be anything. It could be dangerous. Her husband's domestic AIs boasted the best security countermeasures. Under his current circumstances, they jolly well had to. And really, you should have flagged this up as a potential threat. But the message got through nonetheless. A real force of nature. You had to give snaps for its mad perspicacity. And besides, despite all the terrifying trouble that her idiot husband had very much brought upon himself, the spoilt daughter was bored. Her alone and stuck in the prison that had once been one of seven holiday homes. This was now their final high-altitude redoubt. The villa had been chosen because it was the most defendable, which was in itself an absurd notion. As if the aggrieved parties were going to come at him, and probably the spoilt daughter too, with swords and heavy sticks. As if they would attempt to surge up a mountainside bearing museum piece weapons of war. How ridiculous was that? Because if you suspect that it can get lonely at society's highest peak, try adding disgrace. Then try adding a few additional gears and levers to that disgrace. Gears and levers such as very real threats from groups attached to terrorism, organised crime and all stations in between. And it wouldn't be swords or heavy sticks with these people. Seriously, the sport daughter knew that she could not even imagine the ghastly tools or agents of violence that these high-gloss racketeers would deploy. So it was best to stay busy and on the up-and-up. Check messages. Make sure that no escape option had been missed or overlooked. These days, most of the sport daughter's correspondence was from aggrieved bankers and rapacious advocates at law, and even those carefully worded messages mainly made her want to turn and run. And now she could actually do that. She'd already half worked it out in her mind. She'd spoken to a few people. There was indeed a chaos surging now that she could exploit to pull a fast one on her crooked husband. Secure a plan. Then take a starship, some loot, and, as so many had done before her, just light out for the speckled path. Yes, she knew of certain characters now. People who could come in handy and make things happen. People who could make her escape possible. Because her husband wasn't proving much use. He'd always had way too much money and didn't understand that there is a point in the affairs of men like him that when certain laws are broken, other laws, the ones that might protect you, just fall away. And nature, raw in tooth and claw, is allowed to take its bloody course. Yes, the news at home was not getting any better, and sheer anxiety was now a tight fist in her gut, tugging at the spoilt daughter's hopes. 
So it was good to be thinking about a mysterious agent of otherness, this little letter that had got itself through. It had required a certain quality of toughness to reach her, tough like the certain characters she'd been so lately talking to. The escape committee was how she thought of them. The virtual message packet had a similarly alluringly forbidden air about it. This was something different to break up the tedium of anxiety and seclusion. The message contents were probably meh, but it had managed to reach out to her and come this far. She poured herself a long iced anise sherbet and had the AI terminal follow her out onto her bedroom's largest balcony. It was a balcony that, due to her husband's aforementioned current circumstances, was now literally a cage. Bars had been placed over this great open-air vestibule. The bars were very strong and thin and finished in a costly pale silver, but they were difficult to ignore. After taking out her frustrations with punches and hand chops and then arranging a set of plump cushions on a daybed, the spoilt daughter settled down to read in the brilliant morning sun. An incredible view of the Gothic Alps, heart-singingly jagged, all around her. Okay. First up was a short, silent reel. It was random and amateur. A seriously luxe interior in the background. This is a yacht, the sport daughter was thinking. But it could do with some art on the walls, plus windows. The action itself was what appeared to be a space traveller with a blackbird standing where the helmet should be. OK, that's vile. And this disturbing figure was throwing around the image like the bird-headed space traveller was handling the camera but didn't know it. Another face appeared now and then. This was a pleasant-faced young Norseman who looked like he was there to clean the drains just casually hanging around and not making a show of himself. The spoilt daughter now suspected that this was a surveillance reel. A device had been activated and then, for whatever arcane machine reasoning, had taken a snapshot of who was committing said activation. Now, the bird-headed space traveller seemed to be talking to the youth. Then the reel stopped. Then some AI imagery came up. These were put-together mugshots of the ghastly bird, which was ridiculous, but somehow not, and the youth. The spoilt daughter had to laugh at the bird. Those eyes! Straight on it had this really belligerent bad-boy look that was almost adorable, but not quite. The young man appeared well-meaning, mild, stoic even. There was no data to go with the images and information boxes. These two were off the grid, to be sure. Lucky, lucky them. Then, with that visual oddity out of the way, the text began. Or rather, texts. Because right away, it was crazy. Two separate addresses. This had to be two letters scrambled together. She thought of that weird heading. Those numbers and symbols. 
This had come a very long way and may be passed through God's knew what encryption ice walls. Possibly there had been a mini-AI inside the message itself during that, shifting and transforming to find its determined way through. The spoilt daughter was no expert, but there was certainly a smooshed-together, smuggled feel to all of this. Anyway, what she was now reading was a personal letter to her from a dear friend, the tall girl. And also, blushes, the tall girl had written a rather chilly testament of the heart to her lover. And those two messages were jumbled. This was most unlike Phylisa. What kind of dire situation had she got into to be writing this? They had not entirely lost touch, the tall girl and she, the spoilt daughter. The tall girl was elite military now, and this man she was writing to seemed to be a soldier as well. Ugh, all those rules. No wonder the tall girl seemed so unenthusiastic in her passions. Because what made her a magnificent soldier was that under it all she was totally inappropriate in the colour army or any other cadre or collection of meatheads. Even the polo, the spoilt daughter thought, had only ever been a vehicle towards, who knew, social advancement, obviously, but also escape, an escape from a place of love to boot, because she'd adored her parents, the spoilt daughter knew that for sure. The tall girl had revered her mother and father, and yet she had always yearned for more. The feeling was, tell me, what lies beyond love. The tall girl never actually said that, but the spoilt daughter believed that there is such a thing as an instinctive reading of an individual, and there was a hard-charging current of desire in the tall girl that the spoilt daughter had always totally crushed on. And it was funny reading this, the dead prose for her man and the warm reminiscences, little stories about nothing really, for her, it gave the spoilt daughter such a strange feeling. Which was the love letter here, and wherein lay its object? At the bottom of the message there was yet another code, this time a sigil, which is a weird type of pattern the spoilt daughter neither liked or cared to understand. But she knew that they had their uses. A deep male voice said from her terminal, Partial teleport tracker. Whole vehicle compliant. You just need to get in range for the secondary handshake and choose your time. What the hell? Where did that voice come from? The spoiled daughter was so through with this sort of thing. The harassment, the fear, it is all just chipping away at her and she'd had enough. The spoiled daughter grabbed the terminal and pulled it close. Who in ten hundred hells are you? The voice replied, I'm from the committee. Remember we talked about you taking a small holiday? Ah, she had it now. This was one of the certain individuals she'd arranged to meet under cover of a nation temple feast. Her husband was up at the high tables, of course, as it had been his right at the time, while she had been able to mix with the lower orders. And this man had been there. He had barely spoken a word, just enough to order his drink 
while the others laid out their pitch. But the spoilt daughter recognised that deep voice and she had granted him certain permissions to make the small holiday happen. And that included him helping with her correspondence. All this in the cause of looking for just the right time for her to make her escape. Okay, Mr. Man, well, what do you think? First, I've been watching you as you asked. Also, just to see if you're serious. And, with what you've got there, you can be extremely serious. That's an invitation to a place where no one will ever find you. Oh, really? Yes, really. This is an opportunity. I'm prepared to lower my fee and bring a crew. You see, there might be something here for the both of us. You want to talk business then? Yes, but we need to move fast. The Rari ship had become a waterfall. Stationary under the lantern's brutal energy wave bombardment, its towering, blunt prow streamed and glistened in a seemingly endless collapse of both its own matter and the surrounding quanta. A few years ago, Torsten had worked his way as a vehicle mechanic across the ten far nations of Vineland and seen the spectacular Great Onyara Falls. The collapse of the Rari ship's forward section looked like that, except that the alien prow of the brute box now stood taller than even those great falls and beyond a distant hissing, like butter on a hot pan, it was silent. Sif asked, what do you think they're doing? Who, the lanterns or the Rari? asked Torsten. Either. I honestly do not know, said Torsten. Just because they've got superior intelligence, said Sif, that doesn't mean that we should expect their behaviour to suggest any evidence whatsoever of superior intelligence, Torsten finished for Sif, shaking his head. That pretty much stands up to my experience of life. Then he asked the tool drone, this is only going to get worse. Are you tracking for Thimble Winter? No contact, said the tool drone. And is anyone watching us? Not that I can detect. This makes no sense, said Torsten. Shouldn't his people at least be interested in cash? The ritual is begun, said the tall drone. You and Sif should look to your own interests and run. No, said Sif. We're getting the boy out of here. Whatever is happening here and however it goes, we're taking cash with us. Understood, said the tall drone. On your word to initiate attack countermeasures. Thanks, nodded Sif. We'll let you know. The tool drone had claimed that it could generate a survival field for Torsten, Sif and Kesh if the Great Plains atmosphere collapsed, but so far both the air and the artificial gravity were stable. Although the surface of the Great Plain was trembling with the force of what was being unleashed, after a brief cutout the Lantern Tech now held. Their towers were as impressive as ever, and while the two effector structures were glowing faintly as they bombarded the intruder, they were clearly currently far from their maximum intensity. And this is how the Rari ship was smelted. Its forward surface gushed 
tumbling into streams of change particles that left a disproportionately small yet still significant heap of debris on the surface of the Great Plain. The now ever-collapsing brute box reminded Torsten of the head of a whale rising from the ocean and letting water fall as a white column of magisterial chaos. But in its own way, the Rari ship held. The destruction did not seem to be making any deep impression on the integrity of the rest of the alien spacecraft, and Torsten thought of the Rari object's powers of short-term time travel. Was it also endlessly replenishing itself? For once with the Rari, the effect was almost beautiful. As the effector towers emitted no visible force beams, the destruction appeared spontaneous. Another vision. The Rari ship was collapsing behind its own tears. But it did not collapse. It was being fried to what should be nothing, and still here it was, ever looming. The question was becoming, how much longer could this trial of strength go on? Now Kesh was walking with Sif. They talked and it looked like the boy was showing Sif how he laid out the runes. Here and there, Kesh would reach down to feel and check on his work and adjust the placements if necessary. Kesh was proud of what he'd assembled and it broke Torsten's heart. How could anybody want the boy dead as part of a damned blood ritual? Sif carried one of the freshly made rifles and like the promised survival bubble, the weapons seemed tiny and irrelevant against the forces here reigned against one another. The lanterns were demolishing the Rari, and the Rari was standing firm. Maybe, like the Onyara Falls, this would become, like so much else in the Speckle Path, an ongoing cataclysm with no one really knowing why it was there or if it would ever end. Torsten asks Sif, do you regret taking that drink earlier? Actually, right now, I could do it for another. Any sign of thermal winter? Not yet said Torsten. And that weird we are the sea voice you heard. Has it come back? Torsten shook his head. Whatever these ship's upgrades are, they better be good. I bet these lanterns are business as usual type maniacs and still doing their repair work. Look up at the towers. It's as if to them nothing is happening. These are a people without feelings, said Torsten. Just as long as their machines are working, they can shy away and wait it out. That'd be the computers, said Sif. Imagine working with a mind that has no soul and can serve any purpose without thought of morality. Sif then glanced over to see what Kesh was doing. The boy was carefully walking around one of the ruins and then moved to another. Torsten saw him counting his steps. The tool drone had said that despite the obvious technical superiority of the lanterns, this child they'd named Miss Begotten had been given no help with his sightlessness, no tech, no surgeries. He was counting steps, so that was how Kesh had made his runes. The strategy was pathetic, heroic, beautiful. Torsten waited till Kesh was out of hearing distance. How is he? asked Torsten. Sif said, the poor child really wants to do his job, whatever job that is. No details yet, Sif said. When I ask, he just says, wait and see. Then he points to his own eyes and laughs. Torsten said, these lanterns really do earn their reputation, don't they? Sif said, 
Keshe won't talk about his family or people at all. But I have the feeling that he's very much alone. Or maybe they all are. Here's my plan, said Torsten. First, we get Keshe out of here. Then, we put a lot of distance between ourselves and the Rari and the Lanterns. Sif agreed. All these dangerous lunatics. Let them fight it out. Because leave us alone. We're just small. Absolutely. Then we get Kesh to a clinic and have some real medics look at fixing his eyes. Sif said, Kesh seems okay for a rapid exit. I think he's treating me like I'm the interesting alien. But he really likes the idea of Thimble Winter. There remains his mysterious mission and I think we can get around that. But we're definitely not taking him to an Our Good facility or any other of the regular First Earth places. I know, said Torsten. If they find out who and what Kesh is, the kid'll never know peace. We'll find somewhere a little more discreet, and we'll need to look after him afterwards, before we find a new family for him. Sif nodded. Torsten said, It's so strange, us planning a future for him. Is this kidnapping? Call it what you like, said Sif burning sails to the twilight and let the raven be our lodestar. The young prince shall live. So, it was settled. The first mission of the reborn Thimble Winter was to get Kesh, the twelve hells, out, and if any of her crew actually survived, then so much the better. Whatever cruel task the lanterns had allocated for the child was not going to happen if Sif and Torsten had anything to do with it. But, gods, what were these lanterns doing to the Rari ship? How could this tableau of ever-renewing destruction be sustained? Torsten looked up at the impassive wolf mouth. The source of their power had to be there. There was no other explanation. But at what price? Torsten wondered. By now, Kesh had sat down in the middle of one of the ruins and was running his hands over the markings that he'd made. Torsten checked his earpiece. The tall drone hovered lower and followed him. Torsten sat down with Kesh, the boy shifting a little to acknowledge him. Can you help me here, Kesh? asked Torsten, because I'm new and I was wondering if your people used the wolf mouth for anything. You mean the black hole? asked Kesh. Of course, they use that a lot. His tone was far more mature than his years suggested. Torsten knew that kids could get like this out on the stations. They grew up fast. So, Kesh, what happens? Tell me. First, we ask the black hole a question, said Kesh. And the answer comes back with a lot of power, which is like electricity. Well, that's what us kids are told. Very well, but how do you think this process works? OK, said Kesh, becoming animated. One question can have a lot of different versions of itself. Like everything else can have a lot of different versions. Like there's a lot of different versions of me and a lot of different versions of you and different versions of here and the galaxies and everything else. A million alternate universes, asked Torsten. Yes, it all sounds mad, but it isn't, said Cash. How this works is that when something goes into the black hole, all those different versions get squeezed together. But only one answer ever comes out, so the one answer has the power of all the questions, different versions. But in one place, pow, that's the end of everything, if you don't watch out. Torsten paused to think this through. The physics was wild. 
and Torsten was not sure that he understood Kesha's use of the term question. But above all, as a self-taught engineer, Torsten did have one major concern. Kesh, how does this work safely? The boy replied, we use our machines. The black hole's answer goes into a high-grav teleporter as information packets. So you teleport descriptions of energy? Yes, from within the black hole. Each energy signature is totally unique. It has to be to work and is then recreated by teleporter. It doesn't quite work, though. A lot of heat gets lost. Some people say that it's only because we can't totally get the idea to work with perfect efficiency that we haven't blown it all up. It all? asked Torsten. Oh, the galaxy. Whoa, Torsten thought. Whoa. It's a really bad thing to do, continued Kesh, to make this happen on purpose, but they do it anyway. Torsten frowned. But how does anything, even using a teleporter, get out of a wolf mouth? Black hole, Torsten. It's a black hole, it's not a silly wolf, give it the right name. Okay, okay, how do these information packets get out of a black hole? They get out if it's dying, said Kesh, and that's my answer, it's dying. Your silly old wolf is sick, and we're taking advantage of it. Impressive, said Torsten. Also, added Kesh, it's really funny. Funny how? Funny that now with what's happening, it's death fighting death. Because we think the bad aliens are not really alive either, said Kesh. Their ships and all their other horrible things were built to make people remember a dead god. Wait, what? asked Torsten. A dead god? Like a memorial? Yes, nodded Kesh. Their ships have a grave at the bottom, and then over the grave is a very big thing so that no one will ever forget. Torsten asked, so the Rari fleet is a memorial? Kesh nodded, yes, a very big, very angry one. Anyway, it's spreading everywhere. Soon the galaxy will be a graveyard with only one name. And we're all in it, said Torsten, finally beginning to appreciate the full horror of the Rari, which Kesh confirmed. He said, the alien god wants a dead universe covered all over in nothing but Rari. Rari, 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 Rari. Your people discovered all this. Yes. The Rari found us like they found you. They come and fight to see if you are alive, again and again, until they win. We hate them. Kesh, is there a plan? The boy nodded. Yes, the plan is that in order to fight this enemy, so we don't have to fight them anymore, we must attack its spirit. So now we are smashing up their memorials. We are burying this bad god all over again and doing it with their own smashed stuff. We're rubbing the dead god's nose right in it. Not sacrifice, sacrilege, said Torsten. Nine hells, you people. Yes, we people. We have a lot of problems of our own. The black hole will not last, not the way we are treating it. We were better with the old sun. Some say that we should never have left our land. You mean First Earth? Torsten asked. Of course, said Kesh. Our land. Then, they say it was nice there. We never understood why you were all so unhappy. Us? asked Torsten. 
Yes, the lost ones like you. You always had bad lives and very sad faces. Really? Sad were we, said Torsten. I heard that your people often had something to do with that. Yes, well, Shodkesh, fuck us and fuck you too. At that, Torsten grinned. Kesh, you get on well with our ship. She's called Thimblewinter. Trouble, disaster and mayhem had all been waiting for Kesh to perfect his runes. Sif and Torsten were scanning for an attack, ready with the ceramic long guns. Rari or lanterns, who knew where the assault would come from? The ongoing spectacular collapse of the Rari ship and the Great White Plain and then the lantern-silent towers were a theatre of excruciating self-contained violence, undeniably powerful, but in no way as distant to Sif and Torsten as the great wolf-mouth that churned in the darkness beyond. What were they, these people? These irrelevancies? A clone folk woman and a homeless young unschooled mechanic holding a pair of improvised weapons. Sif and Torsten were specks in the grinding machinery of an intergalactic war. Kesh had spoken of a dead alien god. How could Sif and Torsten stand up to the baleful legacy of such a being? A legacy that was now materialised as a hydra-headed extermination machine, determined to stamp both its name and its loss across the torn corpses of every population that it encountered. And yet they clung on. They crouched, Sif and Torsten, literally back to back and ready with the long guns while young Kesh had returned his suit to its cloaked function and invisibly toiled at the runes that the tall drone had found so ragged as to be illegible. And the boy was getting it right this time. As Kesh worked, it appeared that the ceramic segments scraped and moved as if on their own. It was a little disconcerting, but Sif and Torsten got used to it and were glad that the boy had something to distract him during the anxious wait for what seemed like an inevitable, overwhelming onslaught. The tool drone was now settled between them. Thimble Winter? asked Torsten. No trace of Thimble Winter AI activity, said the tool drone. Visible contact is impossible due to the Rari incursion. Is there any chance that the big Rari ship crushed Thimble Winter? asked Sif. That is a possibility, yes, said the tall dread, although it is hovering above the Great Plains surface. The horrible Rari might have just stomped it anyway, suggested Torsten. Again, yes, said the tall drone. Have you found the tall girl? asked Torsten. Or the teacher bird? Or our suits, mine and the Valkyrie? asked Sif. Nothing said the tall drone, and if they are in the towers, then there is no sign of an altercation. No altercation. Torsten grinned as he continued to move his fixed sights over the surrounding plain. So, our gang of thieves and vandals appear to be behaving themselves. I didn't quite say that, said the tall drone. Sif said to the tall drone, I have a feeling that you and the teacher bird aren't always the very best of friends. We hardly know each other, said the tall drone, but the one you call Teacher Bird is a valuable crew member in good standing with the ship. Well, that sounded sincere, 
said Torsten. But why am I the only one who ever gets to curse him? I can understand that, said the tall drone. The teacher bird can be rather pricklish. Pricklish, smiled Torsten. In other words, Sif goaded the tall drone. OK, said the tall drone. He's a prick. At that, both Sif and Torsten laughed and their shoulders shook against each other, a sudden intimacy passing between them. Tool drone, exclaimed Sif. Don't use language like that around a child. If Torsten can keep us civil... Actually, the boys already told me to go fuck myself, said Torsten. That would be entirely understandable, nodded Sif. Then, tool drone, while we've been getting on with shooting at nothing, Kesh is being neglected. Check on him, will you? When he's in his battle suit, we just can't see him the way that you can. A short pause. Then the tool drone said, Kesh is by the runes. He's crouched in a defensive posture and his life signs betray heightened levels of anxiety. Is he okay? asked Sif. He's in relatively good health, said the tall drone, but he is clearly preparing for the worst. An attack? asked Torsten. Yes, find out what's going on, said Sif. The tall drone shot up into the air as it had to read the first version of the rune. Again it paused and then dropped to float between Sif and Torsten. He's completed the runes, said the tall drone. They're fully legible now. Is that bad? asked Torsten. He said it like legible is bad. Something has changed, said the tall drone. There is now an acoustic undertow that I cannot process. I better check on him, said Torsten. Torsten walked towards the runes as the tall drone discreetly indicated exactly where Kesh was crouching. As Torsten approached, the boy pulled back his mask and again the sightless eyes were floating, apparently staring at him as Torsten knelt down to talk. Hey Kesh, how are you doing? Would you like some water? The boy shook his head then. Can you hear them? An acoustic undertone. Hear what, Kesh? The drums, said the boy. Torsten couldn't hear anything beyond the distant hiss of the collapsing Rari ship. Then Sif shouted over, Torsten, Torsten, one of the lights in the towers has started to move. Torsten glanced up to answer Sif, but Kesh reached for and caught his left hand. Kesh then pulled Torsten's hand down to the ceramic surface of the rune. There, do you hear it? asked Kesh. The drums are banging and banging and banging. Torsten, the light is coming straight towards us, shouted Sif. But Torsten said nothing. He was listening to the drums. He was feeling the drums. They came up from the room and... White Christ, Torsten shouted, picking up Kesh, who was still mostly invisible, and beginning to run with him and his long gun to where Sif crouched with her own rifle. Sif, we have to get out of here. Where to? asked Sif. No, we hold our ground and steal this flyer. She pointed to the light moving towards them. We must get our hands on a vehicle, says Sif. Thimble Winter is too far away. This is our only best chance. Torsten put Kesh down and readied himself beside Sif, who had dropped low to use her leather bag to support her long gun. Torsten saw a dark aircraft approach them at low altitude. There was a single search beam at its front and what appeared to be two upward-facing rotors above its two stubby wings with twin jet engines at the rear. The strange rotors made a ferocious noise that was both percussive and soft at the same time. This had to be another example of outlandish lantern technology. 
Sif said, I'm going to try and take the pilot out and hope that they've got impact countermeasures. Also, what is that? The vehicle matches no registered designs, said the tall drone. But I am sure that it's armed. No kidding, said Torsten. Are we in range yet? Sif shook her head, then glanced around quickly to make sure that Kesh was both visible and flat on his belly behind her. The noise was almost upon them. Then Sif shoved at Torsten. Easy, easy, wait. Down gun, down gun, Torsten. They're ours. The mysterious black aircraft was upon them then and using its rotors to hover above the plane, their noise making conversation impossible. But when a ramp dropped and a tall girl stepped down to reach to them, the message in her eyes and on her screaming lips was perfectly clear. Get in, all of you. We need to get all the hells out of here right now. The exit machines are effectively infinite in number, but they are small and they are dumb. They drift between the stars. They are in lungs and the bloodstream. They wash up on beaches and tumble in the softness of a newborn's eye. The exit machines are pollution. They are a misjudged, our good military project from 200 years ago that bred and multiplied and hitched rides to the very far edges of the speckled path. In truth, they are nothing but miraculous lenses, a transmitter and a tiny AI. Across the stars of the mind ocean, they are perhaps how the human species is best known, if at all. And the exit machines are not the only tiny emissaries at large. Other species have their spores that are out and about, mixing freely and getting up to all sorts. Like the exit machines, they are hard to detect and have purposes that may be mundane or sinister or most likely forgotten, along with their makers. Forgotten as surely as the sea people will one day be forgotten or changed, and as surely as this reality will also unhappen to both you and me. And so the exit machines pass and wheel and appear harmless. All they want to do is read, after all. But when the right word appears somewhere in the speckle path, and that word is clear, then you can assume that their call goes out and catastrophic violence is about to be unleashed. And that assumption would be correct. Witness this lantern station at high-energy loggerheads with the great beast of a Rari ship. Witness the tall girl allowing the tall drone to surgically extract a tracker from the flesh of her neck. Witness Torsten taking control of the lantern aircraft, even as the teacher bird rattles off what little it had gathered of how the black rotors whirled and flew. A passing exit machine was about to escalate all of this. It had been drifting above the lantern station until it saw words that were suddenly interesting. A set of runes. Sea people warrior down. Help 
me. With the ramp retracted, the sleek grey bubble of the lantern flyer's cabin blocked enough of the rotor clatter for conversation to be possible. Not that anyone was talking. There was a grim mood amongst the reunited Thimble Winter crew. Kesh looked very small sitting between the storm-stroming Valkyrie suit and the tall girl in her own battle dress of jagged snowflakes, while Sif pulled on her own white fur suit. They all needed a shower and a meal. Screens showed views of the white plane zooming at multiple angles, behind and beneath. Torsten found the flight controls to be surprisingly intuitive. The twin joysticks corresponded so closely to an hour-good grav jumper that the tech had definitely been shared, however covertly. But the lantern's vehicle seemed the superior for handling, and after a stomach-lurching moment or two, the flyer was running smoothly enough for Torsten to begin shouting at the teacher bird, Where did you go? What did you think you were doing? Why did you leave us? We were stealing a lantern computer. What do you think? replied the teacher bird. Can your tiny mind even imagine how valuable? Have you got the computer? Yes, your Valk is holding it back there. Torsten checked their navigational position. They were still some way off where Thimble Winter should be. Then he glanced over his shoulder. The Valkyrie suit was sitting on a metallic yellow mesh box with rounded corners. Unlike the Rari pipe gun, this at least looked like it was worth money. A lot of money, in fact. And they just let you take it, asked Torsten. This aircraft as well. There was no one around, said the teacher bird. We wanted the best they had, so we hit a research complex. It was deserted, and there were signs of neglect. It's like they are all sick or hiding. They know something is coming, said the tall girl. The Rari, asked Torsten. More than that, said the tall girl, glancing at Cash, who remained silent, and Sif gave the tall girl a warning look to back off. Then the drums hit. Drums. Sea people war drums. Enough. Torsten slammed off the audio, then checked the screens. Behind them, the lantern's bombardment of the Rari had stopped. For a moment, the scene was peaceful. A towering frozen waterfall set against a white plain. Beyond that, the far towers of a distant, shiny, grey city. Then, fifteen huge sea people hammerhead war carriers blinked into existence above the plain. They immediately opened fire on the Rari ship with heavy ballistic air-to-air -air ion missiles. It was a shattering fusillade with blinding flashes that made Torsten look away. Teacher Bird, what in thirty-one hells do we do now? For once, the Teacher Bird didn't say anything. And for that reason alone, Torsten immediately knew that something had to be extremely wrong and glanced over. The mechanical blackbird was frozen at the lid of the spacesuit. Its eyes were closed, and Torsten didn't even know that its eyes could do that. Then, an airborne shockwave from the Sea People bombardment hit the flyer. The strange vehicle began to spin out of control. 
Torsten quickly looked back at the others. Sif, the tall girl and the Valkyrie suit all had their visors down and were sat in identical postures. They appeared oddly reverent with their hands on their knees. And as for the tall drone, who knew? Only Kesh seemed conscious, and on his nod, the teacher bird's suit stood up, and even as the flyer tilted violently to one side, they passed each other rather awkwardly. Then Kesh sat down beside Torsten, who was now struggling to correct the flight path, which was not easy, with the lantern's incomprehensible, multi-hued electronic instrumentation. Kesh calmly said, Torsten, do you focus your eyes at the instrument readouts until you only see one colour making sense? These displays contain most numeric systems. Your eyes will learn. Torsten defocused his eyes and found that the blue numerals made sense. It worked. Torsten had a better idea of what was happening now and after a brief, very dangerous fumble, he regained control of the flyer. He had lost a lot of velocity and the vehicle was circling again in low, long sweeps over the plain as the sea people attack continued behind them. OK, said Torsten, that's pretty clever. Now tell me, what did you do to those suits? My people hate thieves, said Kesh. The computer did this. Yes, I could get a really big reward if I turned you all in. Torsten held his gaze. He said, but that's not your plan, is it, Kesh? No, Torsten, it is not. One thing, are my people here dead? They'll recover, said Kesh. They're just sleeping. Torsten, I'm really, really looking forward to us all being together with Sif and the new ones. They seem interesting. Torsten glared at the boy. Kesh continued. But first you need to do something for me. Torsten glanced at the screens. The heavy booms that now surrounded the flyer were a faint indication of the absolute hellfire of the war carries attacks on the Rari ship. The lanterns were getting the sea people to fight their war. While those great towers looked out impassively, land assault vehicles were spilling from the carriers towards the Rari, because in Torsten's own corner of the speckle path, the lanterns also had coercive plans for the Thimble Winter crew. He just hoped Sif was okay. Sif had better be okay. At the end of this, young man, you and me are going to have a very serious talk, said Torsten. But for now, what do you need me to do? Kesh told him, I need you to fly me to a Rari. I want to ask that Rari a question. That's your job, is it, Kesh? To ask a question? You know how we like to ask questions, said Kesh. This is madness, said Torsten. Perhaps. But do you know what, Torsten? You become almost like a father to me. Don't tell me, Kesh. You've always hated your father. The little boy said nothing. Then, always doesn't have to be forever. So hush, Torsten. Now is the time for winter silence. Our enemy is ahead of us. Let's finish them. <laughs> <laughs>